Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Hello, Caitlin. Hello, Rebecca. I said in my bet, let's do this in our best sports type cheer. Ooh, good call. You go first. <laughs> Hello! Becca. That was really good. I don't know if I can top it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do football style. Hello, Caitlin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't watch much sports. Oh, yeah. But that's to intro our yes. podcast episode. Our podcast episode this week is part of our series this month celebrating Black History Month. And it is the Memphis Red Sox. Oh, okay. Tell me the connection. Yeah. Well, the Memphis Red Sox were Memphis's Negro League baseball team. They played from 1923 to 1950. But before I go into the history of the team, I want to explain a little bit about what the Negro League was. Okay. And as we've already said, neither of us are really big sports fans. I'm especially least fond of baseball. So... (laughs) I'm going to try my best here. Okay. All right. So the Negro League was formed because black players weren't allowed to play on white teams, as we know. Yeah. League teams were mostly African-Americans with some Latin Americans also playing. Black teams were formed as early as the 1880s, which was crazy to me. I had no idea. Yeah. And various official leagues came and went. So there were different variations on name and who played in the leagues and all that. There are several of them. So... There are a lot of details about these leagues that are out of the scope of this show and to talk about the Memphis Red Sox, but I'll put some links in show notes if you want to dig in. That's at memphistypehistory.com slash socks, and that's spelled S-O-X for the Memphis Red Sox. So these teams, these black leagues, became major, massive black-owned businesses, and Memphis's team was like that too. I'm going to talk about a little bit more when I get into the history of Memphis. Right now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the broader history of these leagues and just their place in history and how it all happened. Okay. So in 1945, integration talks with the white major league teams began. Jackie Robinson started playing, and... A bunch of other talented black players were scouted and signed up by white teams without regard for the contracts that they had with the black teams. Oh, because of Jackie Robinson? Yeah. Uh, Well, because they were very talented and now like Jackie Robinson had integrated the sport. And so the white teams were coming in and like picking off all the best black players, basically, and taking them out of the black leagues and putting them into the white major leagues. Wow. Okay. So I was really interested by the weird conflict that this that integration put the black team owners in. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, integration meant that the players could actually progress really far in the sport because now they could play in the white major leagues, mm-hmm. uh, which were now, I guess, just the major leagues because they're integrated. Yeah. But they were slowly losing their businesses. Oh, yeah. And like these were some of the biggest, most profitable black-owned businesses in the country. Yeah. So how do they advance if they're losing their best players? Well, they died out. Right. Yeah. Oh. So it's just an interesting, really interesting moment in history there. Yeah. I did find there was uh, one white player who began playing for a black team, the Cleveland Buckeyes, in 1946. And he was a pitcher named Eddie Klepp. 
Huh. Yeah, that's no just okay. fun fact. There's indication that there was a black baseball team in Memphis as early as 1904. Whoa, that is early. Yeah. In the 1920s, Robert Lewis built the first black ballpark in America at Crump in South Lauderdale. He then organized the Memphis Red Sox to play in that ballpark. So black Memphians also use Lewis Park for other athletic events and rallies and things like that, uh, in addition to attending these baseball games. Lewis was also the owner of R.S. Lewis and Sons Funeral Home, which embalmed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s body after he was assassinated. Here in Memphis? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Continuing on with Memphis's place in the uh, history of the black baseball leagues. We just had one black baseball league, right? That's what you said? Well, I'm not going to get into all these details, but like which league the Red Sox played in changed a lot and stuff like that. But this was the Memphis team. The Red Sox are a black Memphis team that we're going to talk about. Yeah, they were part of the Negro League. Most of the time they switched leagues, but they were part of this like black baseball world. Okay. You know, I mean, they're just these like parallel worlds that really existed in America. So this was the baseball side of the African-American like parallel world to what was happening in white America, I guess. So in either 1927 or 1932, some of the, all these little details were a little bit difficult to actually like figure out what happened when and who did what. Okay. So disclaimer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I found a lot of conflicting information. So I'm trying my best here. (laughs) Four brothers, W.S., J.B., A.T., and B.B. Martin bought (laughs) the Red Sox team. They all had initials. Yeah. And apparently they also bought the stadium from Lewis. JB and BB were wealthy dentists and WS and AT were pharmacists. JB also owned a drugstore and at one point a funeral home. In addition to owning the team and the ballpark, JB also owned a hotel near the ballpark. Yeah. And he operated the concession stand inside the park. So he made a lot of money. Yeah, these are some serious <laughs> businessmen. And I thought the a fun fact about the concession stand, it served all the usual ballpark fare that we all know, plus chitlins. <laughs> the Memphis Red Sox was a particularly profitable team. Because the owners also owned the stadium, which was really rare. Really? That's not common. I guess, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was unusual. Normally, the African-American teams had to rent the stadiums from the white teams in order to play. So the white teams earned a lot of money by keeping the sport segregated as well. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So in one article I read, it said they were actually the only African-Americans to own both the team and the stadium, but that was just in one article. So it could be true. I'm not sure. So like I said, Major League Baseball made a lot of money from the segregation. So that's why really owning the stadium was a huge deal and made this business so profitable is because the money stayed within the team and within the community. Yeah. Well, I bet that also probably helped them build a better team too. I mean... Yeah, I mean, they had money to get good players and to invest in them. Yeah. Satchel Page, James Cool Papa Bell, and Ted Double Duty Radcliffe either played <laughs> there or managed teams that played there at some point. So I thought that was cool. Those are famous baseball players. Oh, they are? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I only recognize Satchel Page, but the other ones are famous too, I think. So I'm going to put them in there for all the baseball fans. <laughs> So Martin Stadium was demolished in 1961 and is now commemorated by a historical marker that is at the Tri-State Mac facilities. Fun side note fact that we all love, Gay Hawk Restaurant, 
is a soul food buffet at 685 South Danny Thomas. It opened in 1951 near Martin Stadium. And many folks would go catch a game after church, then go over to Gay Hawk for dinner. Players often ate there. Their apartments were located near the stadium, near this restaurant. And Stax musicians also often ate at Gay Hawk. And it's still open. Oh. And it's a soul food buffet, so watch out when you go. I'm going to visit. What? Okay, what's yeah, the It is 685 South Danny Thomas. Okay. So the Memphis Red Sox played for various leagues over the years. I mentioned that. They sometimes played independently. It was considered a major league team for one year, which was 1932, when it was part of the Negro Southern League. That's why it became a major league? Yeah, apparently because it was in the Negro Southern League, it was in the major leagues for that year. For that year. Yeah. Okay. 1938 was the Red Sox's most successful year. They had a 21-4 record and won the first half championship. But issues between Red Sox management and the second half winners, the Atlanta Black Crackers, caused the rest of the series to be canceled. And Memphis had a two-game lead. But they didn't actually, like, officially win the title because the series was canceled. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. And so uh, the Red Sox never played for the title again. That was the only year they made it. J.B. Martin, uh, so one of the brothers who owned the team, he was run out of town after speaking up against E.H. Crump. He went to Chicago, where in 1946, he became an influential politician, bought the Chicago American Giants, and became president of the Negro American League. It's a lot. Yeah. So next I thought I would tell you about some of the notable Red Sox players. Okay, let's hear it. Catcher Larry Brown was regarded as one of the best catchers in the Negro League, and he was very friendly and loved by his teammates. Oh. So I thought that was interesting. Like, that was, like, a big fact about him. He must have been very well-liked and very nice person. Yeah. Before playing baseball full-time, uh, Brown worked for the railroad. And I read that in 1930, he played catcher for 234 games in a row, which is apparently really, 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 really hard and not something even today's players will often do. He was once asked to learn Spanish. (laughs) He was asked to learn Spanish. (laughs) And pretend to be Hispanic so that he could catch for the Cuban League's Detroit Tigers. Because there's also a Cuban League, so... (laughs) (laughs) Did he, uh, so they wanted him to like pretend to be Hispanic and speak Spanish so that he could play for them. Did, and I guess he didn't? No. After returning to Red Sox in 1938, he earned the all-star title four times. He eventually transitioned into a player-manager role and retired in 1948, but not before taking the time to develop up-and-coming players like Verdell Mathis. I don't know. I'm about to talk about okay. him. Verdell Mathis. <laughs> I don't know any sports people. <laughs> Sorry. I know me neither. This is for all the <laughs> listeners out there who do. Okay. <laughs> and the others who are, int- you know, I, this is an interesting piece of Memphis history to me. And the little facts about the players are kind of fun. Okay. Verdell Mathis was a talented left-handed pitcher uh-huh. who really admired Satchel Page growing up. And he ended up pitching against Satchel Page in several games and even beat him sometimes. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Can you imagine, like, growing up to play against your idol and Mm-mm. even beating them? That's so... It's a dream come true. Yeah. In 1941, Dan Bankhead switched from third baseman to pitcher for the Red Sox. He was then drafted into the military during World War II and returned to the game in 1946. While playing winter ball in Puerto Rico, the Brooklyn Dodgers decided they wanted him to play for them. And so they had to pay $15,000 to the Memphis team, and Bankhead then became the first African-American to pitch in Major League Baseball on August 27, 
1947. The first African-American pitcher? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Right here from Memphis. Also, this is a really cool fun fact. The famous country singer Charlie Pride pitched for the Red Sox on and off between 1953 and 1958 after he was discovered pitching against the Memphis team as part of a Sandlot team that they were playing with. So they he was pitching for a Sandlot team, and they pulled him onto the official team because he was so good. Oh, that's fun. He was a good pitcher. He even pitched against Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, but he wasn't good enough to get into the major leagues. He spent a long, the long hours like on the bus and stuff playing guitar, mm-hmm. and that ended up being a better career path for him. So he stopped pitching and started playing guitar. <laughs> Satchel Paige, James Cool Papa Bell, Willie Wells, and Turkey Steams were all associated with the team in some capacity and were all inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I like that. Yeah. And where is the Baseball Hall of Fame? Girl, why are you asking me all these? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're asking me all these like detailed questions about baseball. I don't know. <laughs> Let me do some live Googling here. <laughs> Okay, the Baseball Hall of Fame is at 25 Main Street, Cooperstown, New York, 13326 USA. All right, let's put that on show notes in case anyone wants to go visit. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a question. Okay. Did they have a mascot? (laughs) Yes, it was a red sock, okay? It couldn't be. (laughs) Yes, it was. And it had one white stripe on it. No. No, I don't know. I'm looking to see. I think this might have been before mascots. I don't it, it's see very possible. About a mascot. What was what was her color? You know, red. Girl, it was red. You never know. Please, <laughs> you never know. Was it was the um, system exactly run the same way as the major leagues were? Like, so I think the Memphis Red Sox was an unusual example of what a team playing in the black leagues would have been like, because obviously they were. They owned the stadium. They owned the team. They were probably a bigger business than many of the other teams. Mm -hmm. But they still faced the same issues of, like, these leagues were never quite as well organized as the, what is it, MLB, like, Major League Baseball side, like, the white side of the game. And did Memphis have their own Major League Baseball at the same time? That's what I'm trying to see. I, I think this is what was sort of confusing to me because it was, there wasn't, like, a really clear minor league major league system yeah. i think so and and there were a lot of different leagues that teams were switching back and forth playing for and winning championships in and all of this stuff and it's like the history of it is so detailed mm-hmm. that you can just get mired down in whatever aspect you're most interested in yeah. Like, I thought that the social aspect was really interesting to me, like how these were some of the biggest Black-owned businesses in the country, how they were such pillars of the community and very, you know, this is like part of social life was to go to these games and, you know, use the stadiums for all your stuff. And I also found really interesting this like tension between the desegregation happening so, like, between 1947 and 1950, the Negro League teams were actually apparently the most financially successful, but that was because they were selling contracts to the white-owned teams for the from the minor leagues and the, like, to put their players in the minor leagues and the major leagues. Oh, they were getting two contracts. Well, no, they were no longer playing for the black teams. So, like, the white teams would make a new contract with the player and pay them out. Like, how I was saying the one guy... They had to pay fifteen thousand dollars 
for him to pitch in the major leagues. Like contracts were having to be bought all the time, right? So they were the most financially successful, but it was because they were losing their players to the white teams. Fans of those players were now going to see them play in the major leagues. So the Negro Leagues ticket sales were falling. Yeah. And the major leagues attendance was growing because it was desegregated. So it's just this interesting tension of like desegregation is better for society. Mm -hmm. And like now these players can be more successful because they're playing in a more organized system that, you know, I guess probably pays more and helps them get further. Right. But now these huge businesses are going down and like this aspect of the community is being lost and, it's just a, int- a really interesting tension. Yeah. <laughs> By 1948, there was only one uh, Negro League still in operation, and it was pretty much now like a minor league team. Like that, its status was minor league. How can that even happen? I mean, it just is like, just like how we have minor league and major league now. It's like you're either like a, a semi-professional or working on being good to play. You know, like you play minor league ball, or you play major league ball. Oh, like, right. No, but I just meant like... They had this system, but... They were just the only, the last... Black team for Black Major League. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they were the last league and they were considered a minor league team. And then in 1960, there were only just a few teams left. So not even like just teams. And so that last league disbanded. Some of the teams kind of kept together in the form of clubs and they kept they continued to barnstorm. So they would play, but they were just barnstorm games. Very interesting. That's the Memphis Red Sox, everybody. We'd love to hear if anybody knows more baseball things about it or has extra stuff they want to tell us about it. We'd love to hear. We found it super interesting, and we welcome your comments at memphistypehistory.com slash Sox, S-O-X, or on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. If there's any chance of someone having a picture of that stadium to share, that would be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be Mm -hmm. cool. If you have favorite items to recommend from the Gay Hawk Buffet. Yes. Tell us those. If you have any trading cards that you like to trade with us, because believe it or not, I have a big collection of baseball cards. Wow. That's a fact I didn't know. Yeah. Why? Since you know so little about baseball. I know. I know. I know. (laughs) I was a bit of a hoarder and it seemed like collecting baseball cards was a big deal. So I have a big collection of baseball cards, including Cracker Jack baseball cards. I ate a lot of Cracker Jacks to get the baseball cards that were in them. Okay. So anyway, all that to say, if you have any baseball cards you like to trade, I'm in the market. You don't know what you're looking for. (laughs) You don't know what you got. I might have a gem in that collection. So if someone's going to make a really good trade, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe they'll bring you Pokemon cards and you're like, yeah, this looks about right. (laughs) This baseball card, this will work. Rugby. (laughs) Oh, you know, I'd probably take anything. Not knowing. Well, this is Memphis Type History, the podcast. We like your type. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type. For all you listeners out there, I just want to 
send out a quick shout out to our supporters on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You've probably heard us mention it at the end of every episode because we cannot survive uh, after a certain amount of time uh, unless you help support us. Uh, because when the run- money runs out, that means we're going to have to stop. And the truth is, is we don't we don't want to um, necessarily stop because there's so much information in Memphis to cover. And you can be one of those supporters for just $1 a month. That's all it takes. It's, it's as little as that $1 a month. Uh, and if we get enough of you to do that, we can cover all our expenses. If you feel really generous, you can donate more than that. You can donate up to a thousand a month if you really want to. Five dollars, ten dollars. Go to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Memphis type history. Check out the goodies that you can get for being a supporter. And like I said, with just a dollar, you get something. Moral of the story. Support us. Go to patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. Look at the stash of goodies we have to offer. Decide which one you want most to make your heart the most happy. And just know that your hearts happy make our hearts happy. Thank you.